0: Love Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. The drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain.
1: la da
2: la da 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 Charleston was once the rage History has turned a page on. The minute
0: skirts, the current thing Speed goes, Speed goes on, the goes on, drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain,
1: la-da-da-da-dee,
2: la-da-da-da-da, the grocery store's the supermarket home. to war, electrically they keep a baseball
1: score, and the beat goes
0: on, the beat goes on, drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain,
2: la da da Going fast all the time. Bum still cried, hey buddy, have you got a dime?
0: And the beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the
2: La-da-da-da-dee,
0: la da da and the beat goes on, yes the beat goes on, and the beat goes on, and the beat goes on, the beat goes on, and the beat goes on. Well, good afternoon
3: everybody. You know the routine. If you don't know the routine, I'll give it to you. It's five o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, and uh, it's a perfect time to gather around your phone, your computer, your uh, your Facebook machine, whatever it is you have to gather around, and let's share a cup of Joe. A cup of Joe is sort of a <clears throat> generic term people would refer to as coffee, but coffee itself is kind of a generic term. That means a, a brewed beverage, typically out of coffee beans, but people make uh, similar type beverages out of all kinds of different herbal concoctions, <clears throat> and that's kind of what this is. Um, clearly, the, the connection is, is a bunch of us getting together with similar ideas and similar values and sharing our thoughts through the medium of the airwaves or the the pod waves, whatever the heck we call the ether that is the internet. If you'd like to join today's show, pick up your phone, regular old phone, cell phone, whatever it is, and dial these numbers, 646-929-2495. If you're a Facebook person, um, if you were to log in to Facebook and look up um, my public figure page, it'll be shared in just a few seconds here, as long as we've got it going. Yep, looks like we got it going right now, and I'm about to share it here. Share it to my public figure page that is goes by the name Joe Grumbine, and on the feed it will save live now and it is now live this is an open forum show an open mic show this is a show that anybody can join if you call this show and you speak to our amazing screener non-compliant mary and you tell her that you have something you'd like to say you will get time it doesn't matter if we're at the last 30 seconds of the show if you call in during airtime, i'll hold the show long this is a show that is produced by, put on by, about the Human Solution International and our quest to end cannabis prohibition as well as preserving, protecting, and fighting for individuals' human civil rights. I don't know. seems like a worthy task, a worthy adventure, a worthy cause. I hate to say the word cause because the word cause usually... Implies somebody sticking their hand out for money and a GoFundMe page attached to it, which, in my opinion, is mostly a black hole. Doesn't mean they can't be helpful. I'm just um, expressing my opinion here. One thing that you can do on this show is express your opinion. One thing you cannot do on this show is attack somebody mindlessly, needlessly, and without foundation. If you have, Something that you want to say that's negative about another individual, please come forward with facts. Otherwise you'll be cut off. <clears throat> this is a show that is dedicated primarily to the notion that we can end cannabis prohibition. And we <coughs> excuse me, are ending cannabis prohibition.
1: And we will
3: end cannabis prohibition. And all of the legalization measures that are out there fall short, every single one of them. We have a special guest today that we're going to talk about this process, the political process, the the way that laws are changed in the United States. But as you all know, and clearly the way I feel that the United States and any place in the world, frankly can change policies outside of changing the law, just simply by acting. Every time society as a group decides that they want something or don't want something, they get it. No matter what, if enough of them want it and act like it and demand it, they will get it. And the laws will change to follow as society demands something. Abraham Lincoln said, with public sentiment." Anything is possible, and without it, nothing. And I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, the will of the average uh, human being today, at least the average American human being, seems to be somewhat lackluster. And we allow the political process to dictate our policies, and we fall back to the position of weakness that says, oh, it's legal, or oh, it's
1: illegal, except for when it doesn't suit me, like California. In our immigration laws, we decide, oh, we don't like this
3: one, and California and their cannabis laws. Well, we don't like that law, so we're not going to follow it. But when then it comes to our somebody doing something that we disagree with, well, you must follow the rule of law because we are a nation of laws, and we must follow them henceforth and herein. That's the kind of crap that we deal with. The political stage is a toxic, um, uh, watered-down, just, we're, we're in the primaries right now. Listen to the advertisements. Guess what? It's the same advertisements that come on every year. You just change the names, you change the players. Oh, this guy's great. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. That guy's terrible. Look at what he did. That is the nature of it. We sit there and stare, and our eyes go bouncing back and forth. Oh, look, Obama endorsed this guy. Well, you didn't realize that he's a douchebag. Well, guess what? That's the political process, folks. And that's what happens. And then elections happen and somebody gets elected. When was the last time that you sat there and said, Wow, that guy did what he said? Nah, that's not what happens. Not whatever happens. And yet somehow we're okay with that. We're okay with a political process that says, We go and we we won a law pass. We talked last week about the twelve bills that are currently sitting in dead water in congressional committees and senate committees they're just sitting there some of them have been sitting there for a year some of them have been sitting for two years some of them have been sitting there for six months but the odds of them ever getting up and actually getting on the floor to a vote are nil unless or until we demand it but we don't we haven't I'd like to think we will one day but until then I'm here on the grassroots level to teach you folks and to be part of this effort to do what we can as individuals. We talk about what we can do as a juror. We talk about what we can do as a citizen. We talk about what we can do to influence policy with our actions inside and outside of the political arena. So that's what I have to say about that. We have a very, very important... um, Breaking story. The human solution is today, it has always been about supporting cannabis defendants. Anybody who has been arrested for cannabis doesn't matter if you were following the law or breaking the law. The laws are all bad, every single goddamn one of them. There is not a cannabis law on the books today that to me is a just one because there's always a place where you as a citizen, could be not following that law and be found guilty of a crime. Most of the time, a jailable offense. You could find yourself in jail or prison because of a plant. Regardless of how many plants or how many ounces or how much oil or how much whatever, it doesn't matter. Again, there's no victim here whatsoever. And the federal law says no, none of it. So the state laws don't mean shit. They never have and they never will as long as the federal law stands the way it does. And if the federal Justice Department decides to jump on you, regardless of what their funding is or not, as we will see as we talk to defendant after defendant and prisoner after prisoner, federal law will win. happens every time. I've sat in I don't know how many federal courtrooms, and I've watched defendant after defendant get convicted. Why? Because they're breaking the law. That's why. And because we have yet to have a single juror in federal court that's willing to stand up and exercise their right to do the right thing, to stand up against that judge's instructions without fear of prosecution, you cannot be punished for your verdict. That's the way it is, folks. Unless you go and spout your mouth up and become in contempt or do something outside of what I just said, you have a right as a juror, to vote not guilty, regardless of what that judge tells you, you must do. You have that right. But yet, to this day, not one, not one time has this happened in federal court. I don't know. I would think one day we would have a juror with some stones stand up and do the right thing. Till then, I sit here and tell you about it. So we have another case. We have a case of the Keeling family. And they were following Ohio state law. But that didn't matter. The sheriff came in and arrested, charged, indicted, got a grand jury indictment because the prosecutor was too weak to file the charges on his own. They stood and fought, had to bail, get bailed out. These are not folks that had a whole lot of means, summoned up whatever they had to do it. Eventually, because the prosecutor didn't get lab reports together in a timely way, the judge dismissed the case. With the defendant, the, the husband, Glenn, was with prejudice, meaning they're not supposed to file charges again. The wife was without prejudice. It makes no sense. I have no idea why that is. She's uh, suffering from a variety of physical ailments and is put in serious jeopardy by just the simple nature of this case. However, they just found out recently that the state's coming back on him again. So I'm going to bring up Glenn first. Then up next we have Ezra Washington, and we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about, from the standpoint of a lobbyist, from somebody who knows the inside of the political system better than I do, better than most of us probably, um, he's going to teach us a little, one thing or another, and we're going to keep on going. Remember, folks, we have Craig Cecil that calls in from federal prison Any time between now and uh, uh, half an hour from now. So when that happens, uh, we upend whatever conversation we're in. We give Craig the floor. He gets 15 minutes to speak. Federal prison serving life for pot. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are, even though his are ridiculous, beyond ridiculous by any measure. Life for pot. Can you think that makes sense on any level? I can't. All right, so we got Glenn Keeling He's going to give us an update. Folks, listen up. This is important. This affects you. This affects the Human Solution International, and this affects this family dramatically, and this is why we're here. Glenn, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
4: Hey, Joe. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on tonight again. Um, We'll start out. We'll start out. um, My wife suffers with uh, multiple sclerosis. I have Crohn's. Um, we went since our, you know, we were diagnosed using pharmaceuticals and doing what we were supposed to do because the doctor said, this is what you got to do. This is how you're going to save your life. Well, it was not saving our lives. It was killing us. Um, 2016, when Kasich passed, signed in the wall that Ohio can have cannabis, we went and seen a doctor that would recommend cannabis for us. We've continued every three months to go and see doctor after doctor after doctor to get to keep up with our recommendations because that's what state of Ohio says. Uh, ran meetings because we were part of normal, we were part of Suave. Now we're part of a great uh, organization, the Human Solution. But when I ran for mayor in 2016, uh, we we everything was great. Um, I lost the race. We ended up. Losing our public meeting space, Peggy and I are both also ordained marriage counselors so on top of running meetings out of our home for suave and normal, we were doing marriage counselors for couples um, october thirty first the sheriff's department, Grand lake task force uh, rockford Police Department, Coldwater Police Department decided to raid our home because they said that we're drug dealers we're bad people, we're criminals um I gave two grams to a member of Swab. It was his sacrament. That is the crime that I committed. If you want to call it a crime, it's a fucking plant. We use it to heal ourselves. We use it as our medicine. We're not criminals. We're not bad people. They decided that they could not charge us and follow through with they can get it to stick. So in March of this year, they just decided to dismiss charges without prejudice with Peggy and you know, I. Um, day before yesterday, we were reindicted. Um, the first time Peggy had five charges, um, all felonies, I had six charges, all felonies. Well, this time when they came back after us, um, we're both looking at, uh, 13 felonies and two minor misdemeanors at this point. Um, and it's all because we decided to use cannabis as our medicine. We weren't hurting nobody. We weren't doing nothing bad. We weren't causing help. We weren't, nobody really knew unless you walked into our home that what we were doing. They came into the privacy of our home, just like they're going to do to every one of you guys that you're sitting under the pretense that you're safe because you're in a medical state or you're in a legal state. Well, those are only words because they're not going to give a goddamn when they come and knock on your door whether you're living in a free state or a medical state, they're not going to care because they are the law and they're going to do as they want, when they want and how they want. And they're not going to matter whether you were following what the state said or not. And that's just the bottom line. This prohibition that we're stuck in and that's exactly what it is. We're stuck because there's not going to be any way out of it unless we all come together and support each other. Um, we're asking for court support. I okay. I guess I would have to go to court also on May thirtieth. At one o'clock, that's in Salina, Ohio. Um one North King Street, Salina, Ohio. You. If you can't come out, write a letter. It doesn't take that much because yeah, I'm you have gotta support something. Support someone sometime. This is the time right now to support people that are going through this because we're doing it really for everybody else that's sitting at home that hasn't had a knock on their door. that's freely smoking and, you know, privacy of their home. This is what we do this for. I mean, yeah, we're fighting for our lives, but we're also fighting to clear a way, a proper way for people to use cannabis. And that's just what it is. We need to come together, stand together, and fight together.
2: Fight, fight, fight!
4: Right on. And, she means and
1: I'll be making your ribbons.
2: I'll be making hundreds of ribbons for you, and yeah, let's uh, let's rock and roll. Well,
3: you know the Thank thing is, the thing is, is that she's right. We're gonna rock and roll. We're gonna end prohibition. And we're gonna do it together. Uh, we're gonna keep bringing this up during the course of the of the show. Uh, as I told you yesterday, I did call upon Bobby Rodrigo, and I, I cashed in a favor. And he said he's going to go at this with all guns. He says he has um, he has some boots on the ground in Ohio. He says he can get some people in the courtroom, and he's going to go at it with the media as well. So I forwarded him everything you sent me yesterday, uh, last night. He got it, and I will be uh, continuing to engage him. I'm going to contact him possibly on the show, but I think we got a pretty full show. I don't think I'm going to be able to bring him in um, today, but I'll talk to him. Again tomorrow morning, and follow him along with a with a plan of action. All right, Glenn. Well, here's Craig calling from federal prison, and I hope to God um, it's never you that is doing this.
4: Right on. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much.
3: You bet. Glenn Keeling from the Ohio chapter Creative Care Beacon Human Solution in Ohio. Craig Cecil, how
5: are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Well, I'm doing well because we dodged a bullet. <laughs> oh,
3: really? What kind of
5: bullet? Well, at 4 o'clock they locked us all down and they said, well, you're going to be locked down until at least tomorrow. So oh, no. Settle in and get get <laughs> used to
1: it. Oh, no. <laughs> we know that they took some people and released them to the compound today, so at least one of them probably got beat up. Ah. So Boy, but whatever
5: they is, whatever happened, they, they cleared it up and
3: they just
5: let us out of the cells a little while
3: ago. So well, oh, well, congratulations. You know, it's funny. We're talking about you know prohibition and we're talking about um, you know as we live in America right now, we have all these people, thousands, probably millions of people that that falsely believe that we're okay, we're done, it's already over, and yet. You know, there's, there's so many people that are still uh, suffering the, the, the negative effects of prohibition. You're the extreme, obviously, serving a life sentence without possibility of parole unless we intervene and do everything we can to keep the attention on this case and make the change in policy to get you free. So we got Glenn Keeling just got reindicted on a state case in a legal state where he was following the law, and they reindicted him and added double the amount of charges to him, and we're, we're, we're rallying around his defense right now in, in Ohio. A lot of people don't realize how many people are in prison for marijuana and still going to prison. In federal
5: prison, about half of the people in prison are in prison for drug charges, and of those drug charges, it went from 19% but down to 17% are here for marijuana charges. So that's a large number of people, you know, especially when you look at 183,000 inmates, 90,000, 20% or 17% of them, probably close to 13,000, 14,000 people. It's just in federal prison
3: for marijuana charge. That's a huge number of people. And, and if you ask most people, especially in states where they've passed state legislation that allows for medical and or recreational use, Those same people will tell you, oh, no, it doesn't happen anymore. We're done. It's legal. That's what they'll tell you. I I have them tell me all the time. And then you have to say, well, what about this and what about that? They don't believe you right off. You literally have to lay down proof before some of these people will, will accept the fact that we're not done yet. And, you know, that's been the premise of this show. That's the premise of The Human Solution as an organization. And it's you know, something that pisses me off enough to do something about it every single day.
5: Oh, and and, as you know, I see it every day. I was working with a guy today that, uh, he helps me out with some of the, uh, and he owned a, uh, a medical marijuana dispensary, actually a grow operation in Michigan, where medical marijuana is legal. But his operation ran for years with a state license, but here he is now in, uh, person for 10
3: years because of it. well you know it's interesting there's been a number of cases like that and and people believe that because uh, supposedly Congress defunded the DEA for certain activities that magically prohibitions over it doesn't work that way and it's not going to work that way until we finally make it work that way and that's what this is all about I, I feel like every single time every single day that that we're out here, and there's a need to have a show like this, I say to myself, you know, we hopefully are gaining on this. I feel like we are. I feel like stronger people are stepping up and shaking off the, the, I don't know, the complacency that that surrounds so many. People are are waking up. You know what happens? When you go to the doctor and you find out you have a life-threatening disease, you wake up, your eyes open up, and you become an advocate if you're smart and you begin to change your ways to affect a specific uh, outcome. And the same thing should happen to every single person that's ever been arrested for pot or even finding out that somebody does get. But unfortunately, you know, the fear factors involved, people are are deathly afraid of, of the unknown, and certainly nobody wants to get locked up, and nobody wants to take the chance of getting locked up, so the plea deals pile on, and you know, it, 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 it takes warriors to stand up and fight this, and it takes citizens willing to just keep pounding that drum. You know, the death of a thousand cuts, we can kill Prohibition this way. We can just keep beating it to death and not accepting it and not being okay with every time that there's another pot arrest. Well, and if we look, in the last few years, the uh, violent crime rate, the last three years has risen 7% per year. Murders have risen 20% per year. Now, you know, the local police and, you know, state and federal organizations only have so much money to spend and so many hours and, you know, so many dollars worth of
5: resources. Why aren't they putting to that, that towards people, you know, uh, that are committing violent crimes? I mean, maybe they're harder to, to catch because, you know they they don't have a bunch of people that are you know real quick to point their
3: fingers at them. But you know put those resources in actually helping save people's lives. Because I I haven't seen I have yet to see a statistic of how many people died last year because of marijuana. Well, I know what that statistic is, Craig. It's the same statistic that it is every year. The number is zero, oh. and that's the truth. You know, and the thing of it is. If we were to say these words to our politicians being elected, how come these numbers that you just said are continuing to happen?
5: What's it from a federal prison? And
3: yet we're still spending all this time, energy, resources, and money on locking up people for a plant that killed no one. But we're not saying that. We don't demand it. When you go to these these um, you know open house forums, these these uh, roundtable discussions, these uh, whatever you call it, um, you know, the the townhouse, town hall meetings, that's what it is, town hall. I don't ever hear this overwhelming demand to find out the answers to these questions. Why are there untested rape kits in police departments, and yet there's, there's all this energy to spend on these pot cases? That should never happen, not one time. Never should there be a violent crime unanswered, when we go and stomp in with stormtroopers and raid people's houses when there was not even so much as a victim. And you know what? The, the law enforcement's first client should be that rape victim. Of course. Let's ask her, or even him if it, you know if the case may be, but let's ask that victim. Who would you rather see
5: the police chasing after, the rapist.
3: Of course, of course, and and yet I don't hear the outcry. Where is the public outcry? People are aware of this, but then you drive down the road and you see the dispensary sign on the highway and you're like, well, I guess pot's okay. That must not be the problem. And so I don't know what the answer is right now. I guess this discussion is part of it. Uh, Continuing to talk about the problem hopefully will bring about this solution. And especially, I've seen recently out of a number of different
5: uh, places have replicated studies that show that marijuana could be used to uh, undo uh, the opioid addiction. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, opioid addiction is literally you know killing thousands of people every year. Why wouldn't that be the first
3: you know emphasis to anybody in the law enforcement or in the agency. So let's undo that. If marijuana is a vehicle to that, let's make marijuana more available, not less. Well, you know, slowly but surely the evidence is coming out and it's being documented and there will be at one day, there will be cannabis uh, rehab clinics all over the place and there will be a lot less people dying from opiate uh, uh, overdoses and, and, and the long-term effects of opiate use. It will happen, but it isn't happening tomorrow, and it's not going to happen till enough of us keep pushing for it. The science is there. It just needs to be validated, and that's what's happening inch by inch out here. But, you know, to a guy like you, every single day is different than a day out here. A day out here happens in a blink of an eye. I So many things to do, so many things to deal with, freedom all day long. And when I was locked up, a day drug on forever. A day was like the, it seemed like a year. Every single day goes by. So time is not equal to us. And and I say we need to kick our spurs into this horse and start moving towards it fast because I know what it feels
1: like to have the time be
3: as it is when you're locked up, and it's not all right. It just made- because you look, okay, I'm older than average. I'm, I'm 58 years old. The um, average cost to keep a prisoner in federal prison is about $36,000 a year. Of course, at my age, and I'm diabetic, I cost a little
5: over $50,000 a year. Now, you multiply that times the 13,000 marijuana offenders in federal prison, and just think of how much law enforcement, you know, I, whatever that number is, is a big number. And that would provide an awful lot of law enforcement, like you said, to use on those red kids, to use, you know, watching those cameras they have in the inner cities now to, you know what I mean, to, to go after why are these, you know, these neighborhoods, you know, having so many
3: shootings, you know, double the amount of
5: police officers. Oh, I couldn't, Whatever it takes, but stop the violent crime.
3: I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's in California, I, I believe the number is almost $70,000 a year for an inmate. Uh, and that's at the state level. You know, it's just you look across the country and the amount of money that it costs to lock somebody up is more than double the amount of money it costs to live on the outside. You know, and and even if you're impoverished, even if you were on welfare and drew money to live on the outside, it would be cheaper than locking you up on the inside. Oh, absolutely. And like I say the Drug enforcement, you know, field right now.
5: They have to be looking at the opioid problem versus, yeah, you know, I mean, versus anything else. I mean, that is just killing so many people. That you know, and it seems like it's it, it's something that you know has, has arisen quickly. And
3: I think if they really put a full-throated effort to it, they could significantly cut it back. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't even begin to uh, agree with you more. You know, And the problem is we're dealing with the language of common sense. And then we're dealing with the language of politics. You know, we're dealing with primary elections right now, and you start watching what's happening and the big buzz about this, that, and the other thing. But you know as well as I do, when the dust settles, nothing ever changes. And, and even though it seems like we have these gigantic swings, the, 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 the huge left-wing Democrats, they jump in, they sit in the House, and they start acting more like the centrists. And the hardcore right-wing conservatives, they come in, they get power, and they start acting like centrists, and nothing gets done. They just butt heads over everything, and everything just sits at a standstill. Our, our current political system is broken. It just doesn't work because if it worked we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be talking about something that was meaningful and made sense rather than a travesty of justice and civil liberties. Well the other question is is I know you've run into the frustration, is there's a number of of businesses now really stuffing their pocket with uh, money from, you know, marijuana sales and you know and everything that's related to that. Now, they're, they're stuffing all this money in their pockets, but I have yet to see commercials on TV saying, you know, hey, let's, let's use uh, uh, marijuana to cut back the opioid addiction. I haven't seen you it. Know, nope. Why, why are we locking up people from marijuana but murderers are, are walking, not even being investigated? And like you say,
5: when there's rape kits that, you know, are left untested, you know, why aren't we testing those and locking up the people
3: that match that DNA? I couldn't agree with you more. Well, you got your first beep uh, there, Craig, and I just want to make sure you got time to say everything that you want. But know this, we are working on a campaign called How Come specifically to bring those messages out there. However, we haven't found an affordable billboard or any donation other than one, and um, we're, we're looking for that. There's your second beep. I'll let you have it. Well, I
5: want to thank you for, you know, making people aware of our presence. Out here, for because it really is making a difference. As you know, you you asked for some uh, letters, and that I got some letters uh, of your listeners from Canada, from the East Coast, from all over. So it does work. People are hearing you, and people, more and more people are realizing that there's people like me. And
3: like I said, and there he goes. Every single week, Craig Cecil gets cut off. Well, we're out here free to smoke our pot, free to grow our pot, sort of, and Craig Cecil languishes in Terre Haute, Indiana, federal prison, one of the worst institutions on the planet, well, at least in America. I think it was built in the, before the 20s, broken windows up in Indiana, where it snows, it's freezing cold, hot and humid in the summertime. He says it's like there's almost no barrier between the outside and the inside. Life sentence without possibility of parole. Craig Cecil didn't even sell pot. He didn't even have pot. Craig Cecil was repairing the inside of trailer vehicles that happened to have been used for smuggling pot, but he had nothing to do with that part of it. He was a guy, a contractor, being hired to fix trucks. But because he didn't feel that he was doing anything wrong, And he wasn't a guy that was going to go squeal on anybody else. And he certainly didn't think that this could happen. He finds himself serving a life sentence without possibility of parole. If you commit a violent felony, including murder, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to have a chance to get out at some point in your life, probably less than 25 years from the time you go in. Craig Cecil does not have that luxury. And it's on us, change it and passing laws are one part of it Um, changing public policy through public sentiment and the will of the people frankly it's not the easiest way to do it well it would be if we all decided to stand up and just exercise our rights but it would take a whole lot of willpower it would take a whole lot of courage it would take a whole lot of people owning their own rights and being willing to exercise them taking some small risk, but certainly not the risk that Craig takes. All right, we have our guest coming up now. This is Ezra Washington, and he's here to speak about uh, whatever he wants to. He's got a lot of – a wealth of, of experience to speak on. I've had a brief conversation with him a few days ago, and I found the conversation to be riveting. So whether or not anybody else is into this or not, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um <clears throat> He's a business lobbyist, a consultant, an activist, political strategist, four kids dedicated to creating a business world that does not exploit the poor or ruin the environment. Hey, that all sounds like common sense stuff to me. A world of common sense is not the world we necessarily live in, but it is certainly the world that we could demand, and it is a world that we could create. And I have a feeling Ezra's got some ideas that could certainly help us do it. So, without further ado, Ezra, you are live on the air, and um, I can assume that you've gotten a bit of a taste of the flavor of the show and the nature of the topics and um, certainly my point of view on, on some things. I, I, I welcome uh, your comment, and I welcome, uh, I welcome you to the show.
6: Right on. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, this is fun. Um, in my personal life, I'm usually hiding in the mountains and farming and being close to nature, so uh, I don't I don't come out and uh, participate in much stuff like this. But uh, I I do you know, a tremendous amount of political work, and I have for 20 years, uh, in various capacities, from a you know business lobbyist to a, a long hair, barefoot activist saving old growth. You know I've been all over the spectrum, the political you know campaign consultant behind the scenes helping people get elected to office, and uh, the last. Uh, the last eight years I focused more and more on just the, the marijuana issues. And, you know, it, it's interesting what the, this conversation that I just witnessed on your show, where we're talking to people who are still serving out and being harmed by prosecuted by a legal system that is desperate to continue going after marijuana and other nonviolent, you know, drug issues. And there are entrenched interests out there who want to keep it that way. Um, you know, you, people ask, who's pushing this crap? Who, who's fighting prohibition? Uh, the end of prohibition at this point? And one of the right. big groups out there that keeps coming up is uh, uh, prison guard unions and um, you know, police associations. Uh, I have dealt with them as a lobbyist here at the state level uh, and found that they pretty much across the board use their lobbying influence at the local state and federal level to keep virtually almost literally as many things illegal as possible so they can justify arresting as many people as possible, keeping their budgets up, keeping their FTEs up and maintaining the power of their union or even expanding it. So uh, when you see the, you know, certain, certain sectors of law enforcement or, you know, prison unions uh, coming out against legalization, uh, it is the, Unfortunately, this is some of the dark side of where unions deserve some criticism for trying to make the public uh, uh, subservient to their financial goals. And the people who are sitting in prison right now for marijuana are the the ones paying the price for society accepting that agenda from them. So, uh, it's, it's um,
3: not just them, but their families, their loved ones, uh, yeah, you know, their businesses—it's it, it, got such a ripple effect we've talked about this on the show many times it's not just the inmate that gets punished and it it travels out uh you know in in so many different directions And, and you brought up a point about uh you know these institutions serving their own interests and i i think that you know it's a business model but the prison system isn't supposed to be a business it's supposed to be a societal protection it, the the law enforcement isn't supposed to be a business it's supposed to be an agency to serve and protect us and yet somehow it's uh i don't know maybe um uh changed a bit yeah and you know the
6: the the path to fixing it is a is a windy tangled mess that involves a lot of uh intricate steps forward and we're in the beginning process of National legalization here, which we're doing the same way that alcohol prohibition was ended by starting out state by state, eventually then forcing the federal hand um, you know as 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 we as we uh, you know go go through this um, process, um, we in the beginning have to make some trades so for example, if we go to pre full legalization in Washington state, um, <clears throat> there were Washington had a completely unregulated uh, gray market medical marijuana uh, situation happening similar to how California was for a while and Montana and a few other states where they were, they just didn't have regulations in place monitoring that industry. And and what we watched for a number of years was the feds uh, raiding and interfering with all the states that didn't regulate it themselves. So when the people who wrote the legalization initiatives, which I was not, um, but when the people who have been writing these, uh, you know, have been looking forward, they've been realizing, uh, okay, we need, we're going to need regulation as a, as, a, as a replacement for all these people going to jail for possession. So in states like Washington and some others where folks are participating just in the legal market and following the rules, uh, I'm not aware of any arrests out here for, on, for, for you know, users. There, there are arrests for illegal dealers, but they're not even getting much legal attention uh, that I've seen. And if there if there are examples out there I'm not aware of, then um, then you know there i am corrected. But in yeah, Washington State,
3: Colorado, Washington State. I don't know so much about Oregon, California for sure. Um, there's still a lot of situations, and here's what they do. And and I I I'm not I I, I like this discussion, and I want to keep it as as constructive of a discussion as we can because. You bring forth a a point of view that even though I don't want to subscribe to, I give it merit because there's merit to all of this, Um, and I I have a very strong feeling about how it should be done, and even though it might not be the the, the best way, I I feel very strongly about it. But what happens, and and then I'll, I'll, I'll yield again, is the government, when they decide they want to go after somebody, they just simply go after somebody saying, well, you weren't following this law, and they make an accusation. Whether it's founded or not doesn't necessarily matter. As the Keelings found out, theirs is a state case, but the feds do it too. Um, And they will always say, you're right. They don't go after the, the, the possession cases, you know, but that's the first thing to go. Who cares? Nobody in a long time has gone to jail for possession in a lot of states, there's still states that are really hostile, and you can go to jail for thinking about pot. But, but in California and, and and Colorado and Washington, Oregon, a lot of these states possession cases have gone by the wayside. But what they do is they target somebody for whatever reason. Could be a political reason. Could be um, complaints. I think more often than not, they're they're complaint driven. Um, but there's assets involved nine out of ten times, and that's the big motivation behind all of this is that the forfeiture, and they come in and they get them, they they charge them with uh, possession with intent, sale, transportation, all these other charges that the legalization measures don't cover. And that's unfortunately what happens in 90% of the cases that I see. Um, It's somebody with with a grow big, little, sideways, doesn't matter, they don't get you for the grow. They say, "Well, you were going to sell that. Um, you were going to. It wasn't licensed, so therefore, you're illegal." Um, and that's what happens now. So I'll, I'll yield to you on that. But that's that's unfortunately what I see a lot of.
6: Yeah, and and so and just just to clarify, though, when I first got involved with these issues in 2010, it was as a volunteer. Well. I, I had a short a very brief time being a lobbyist for Normal in Washington State, but that was just a couple of months. My first real jump into the legalization movement was trying to volunteering for an initiative that was being prepared in Washington at that time. And the legal theory that went into that initiative was to do nothing but strip prohibition from state law and not create any replacement uh, regulation and just remove any any law from the books that could put anybody in jail for cannabis for any reason. Um, I, I thought that just in terms of social justice, treating marijuana for the threat level that it really is, which is extremely low um, and for, you know, protection against the feds uh, and they at the time, we weren't sure if they were going to challenge legalization initiatives in court. So this was also designed uh, to, keep the feds from being able to challenge the actual legalization initiative itself. Uh, that has proven to not have been necessary, but the people writing it at the time didn't know that. So um, that that was where I thought initially legalization should go. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't raise the money needed to get that form of legalization on the ballot. The ACLU folks came in uh, a few years later and raised money for what became I-502 in Washington that did pass. Since they raised the money, they got to write it how they wanted, and it was this you know, very regulation-intensive, uh, very, very high-taxed uh, initiative that actually made, um, uh, made life more dangerous for anybody under the age of 21 caught using it. So a lot of us who were involved before that didn't like the way that that initiative was written and thought it was a bad precedent to set for the rest of the nation. We actually opposed that particular initiative. Uh, over the details of it so uh, you know ultimately the people who are raising the money and getting these passed are so the are, are 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 doing it though you know with the regulatory environment and the high taxes and everything across the country so that's now the the model that we have to accept because that's how it's happening and so what we have to realize is our next step is one getting at least the legalization happening in all the states uh, and two uh, which frankly at this point the way that it's been going in states like Washington, California, and all that, um, there's not much that grassroots activists need to do anymore. There are big organizations out there raising lots of money and going and passing initiatives state by state. Or now we're even seeing some legislators do it on their own. Uh, and so, the you know, the, the, the change is is, is is speeding up. We're seeing, a you know, we're it's this race to knock down this brick wall of federal prohibition. Uh, and then stage two – once we've got all of that taken care of nationally is going and getting people the fuck out of prison who are in prison for marijuana only related incidents. Uh, out here in Washington state, luckily we had a former U S uh, attorney uh, turned mayor of Seattle work with city with, within the city now to vacate uh, um, people's uh, uh, criminal convictions for marijuana going back quite a number of years. Uh, and so we're seeing some areas of the country recognize that it's wrong to keep people saddled with these, uh, you know, criminal records over marijuana. Uh, and But that'll be the next battle is now repairing the damage that's been done to our families, our communities, our trust in government, our trust in law enforcement. Um, you, you know, a, a lot of us lost our faith in our government's integrity because of marijuana prohibition. It was such a glaring... Civil civil rights problem that's been perpetuated for decades uh, that no you know politicians didn't want to touch so it, it is it, prohibition has caused a lot of damage but there are people who have benefited from that you know the DEA uh, gets billions of dollars and then they can come and seize all your property and cash and uh, keep that for their budgets as well it's the the whole thing is so corrupt from 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 top to bottom and they're scared now because we're about to I mean it, it's not happening just yet but. I I, I believe, since we have such strong public support, and since marijuana legalization across the nation has such bipartisan support, I mean, really, it's probably one of the most bipartisan issues in the country right now, which I believe is why the Trump administration wouldn't allow allow Jeff Sessions to come after us, uh, because they know that they'd be trampling a whole lot of their own base as well, and they, they can't afford to do that. So. It's, it's really one of these issues where this country actually has a chance, even in this political environment, to fix the wrongs from prohibition. And uh, it's, it, it really just it takes strategizing and, and getting things done as fast as possible while also being patient and not stopping until the entire thing is done. You know, like you said earlier in the beginning of the show, one of the other callers, um, uh, this doesn't change. The problem isn't fixed hundred percent overnight because one legalization uh bills changed. That wouldn't even be the case if the feds changed the legal status of marijuana at the federal level. It's it's a multi stage process just like civil rights. It wasn't the you know desegregation laws didn't alone fix racial inequality in this country. It's still an ongoing battle to this day. So we didn't finish the job back when it was the, the hot national topic at the time. We did a few things as a nation, made it look better, fixed some of the most glaring problems that still allowed racial inequality to perpetuate in the business and legal worlds and to this day. So um, uh, at the same time, as, as we have to be a little patient, we also have people sitting in prison in little cages. They, every single day they're sitting there is, 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 is a black eye to any sense of, of civil rights or, or justice or wise use of government in prisons. It is, it is, it is such an abuse that uh, it's sometimes hard for me to stay civil with the, the, the prosecutors and the police organizations I deal with in our state capital in Olympia. Um, There's some of the few people in our in our political environment in this state that I have a hard time remaining civil with and who I'm willing to attack on the record in the press because they, they need to get called out. For, and this isn't the only place where they're harming our own society. You know, we've got them shooting people of color. We've got them covering up for all the bad apples. Uh, we've got them, You know, just they're doing a lot of bad things all over the place, and they need to be called out on it.
3: Well, um, I've got a couple of of points I'd like to bring into this, and then I'd like to talk about the whole lobby process. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the political process. They don't understand what the value or the the job of a lobbyist is, and I'd like to get into that a little bit. Um, But I do want to touch on this. This is something that bothers me a lot, and I, I talk about it a lot. And with almost no exception, the major legalization bills that have passed in states have been funded by specific organizations that have specifically benefited from the language of these bills, and what they've essentially done is taking taken a gray market area that was a lot more equitable as far as the competition amongst the players, and separated them by the those that had the means to do it, and eliminating those that didn't have the means to do it. And there's virtually no other business in the world that is that is regulated that way, in the sense of uh, the exorbitant fees of licensing and and and, and clearing uh, regulatory. Um, Uh, hurdles, Uh, if you don't have millions of dollars to get going, you're out of luck. You're not going to get licensed. And if you're not licensed, you're illegal. And if you're illegal, you could likely be taken out. Um, And it's the case in, you know, if you look in California right now, as we have an emerging uh, recreational market coming, some of the biggest players are the attorneys that were behind the scenes in, in passing the law. And... Uh, You know, there's all this money come into this play, and some of the people that have been involved for 30 years, such as myself, and a lot of people that I know that, you know, aren't people that have, you know, seven, eight figures in their bank accounts, don't have any opportunity to enter into that arena. And it's not that I care about that one way or the other. My goal is to fix it. But the point is, we're talking about where if we're talking about creating an equitable world that that makes some kind of sense, there isn't any other type of market or industry, as far as I know, on the planet that gets affected this way by the laws. And one of the things that alcohol prohibition did when it was going through, the people uh, acted in more ways than just passing state by state. They refused to convict uh alcohol crimes. Juries just stood by and said, no, sorry, we're not going to convict on that. And that was uh, one of the several examples in American history where jury nullification was used as a tool that it was designed for. Um, and then when you get down to it, the the regulations involved in the alcohol uh, world aren't anywhere near as stringent or as uh, costly. It, it would be a, a Ten times cheaper for me to open up a brewery anywhere in the country than to open up a legal uh, manufacturing facility in any state. What are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, some kind of common sense in all of this? And the people that benefit from this as opposed to the people that suffer. The people that need the medicine the most can't afford it when you deal with all the taxes and regulations and they're forced to either – Take a chance on the black market, or take a chance on producing their own stuff, thus remaining a criminal element.
6: Uh, yeah, it, 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 this is not this is not a, a comfortable place to be right now, and I, I I don't know about the details of who's been behind the the initiatives in other states. So I I don't really have any expertise or insight to share about that. But if what you say is true about California, honestly, it, it doesn't surprise me. There's big global money interested in the U S you know, marijuana market. Well, the global marijuana market, it's, you know, it's one of the, it's, it's, it's probably as big uh, a market existing now globally as alcohol. And uh, certainly looking that way, at least in, you know, in the West coast. So it's big money. It's attracting big money. And I, uh, you know, I honestly don't know what you know, the the grassroots can do other than find their own sources of money to beat the big money folks to the punch and being the ones to write the initiatives. But there always has to be, you know, a couple parts to the equation. One, you have to have a good initiative. Two, you've got to have the money and the resources to go out and, and, and to actually make it happen, actually get it passed. Or a bill in a legislature, same thing. You know, uh, once the marijuana industry is developed, is established in a state then they act like any other industry. They hire people like me, lobbyists uh, to go represent their business needs to state legislatures uh, or to, you know, to, to regulators and um, grassroots activists can do that as well and can do so effectively, but they have to get organized. They have to be willing to raise money. They have to be willing to hire professionals. They have to be willing to put their most, uh, you know, quote, normal person forward as spokespeople uh, to, to the government. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you don't want people who look counterculture going and representing your cause. That doesn't get you in to be able to compete with the corporate lobbyists. Um, and so, folks have to be have to be smart, organized, willing to raise and spend money, willing to work with lobbyists, willing to work cross aisle with Republicans and Independents and Democrats, uh, and um, push for the the common sense and just the compassionate sanity that you're talking about. And that, you know, the, these sorts of things are kind of like the next, the next fights in all of this. And in the, mean, in the meantime, like what you're saying, um, people who don't have the big money aren't making it in the legal industry. And the, I, I, I attribute that 80% to the high tax rates. And let's think about this for a sec. Um, when you, when you, for, in Washington's the worst, we have a 37% excise tax plus 9 or 10 uh, 10% uh, sales tax right off the top. So let's just call that 50% for the sake of of argument. Uh, Somebody goes and buys a gram of weed in a store for $10, almost five of that goes straight to the state. And now you have producers, processors, slash distributors, and retailers having to divvy up that remaining $5 amongst themselves. And then on the back end, you have the federal government with the 280E tax code treating us like organized crime and increasing our federal tax uh, debt considerably. And so we're just squeezed from so many angles that if you, if you, if you apply, you know, all that pressure to just a, a, a financial model, what it does is it eliminates the ability for the small business to have higher margins, which they need to survive. You know, if they're doing lower volume, they need larger margins. Well, guess what? The high tax rate just destroyed. It just destroyed your ability to have high margins. And, so what does that then guarantee? That guarantee is that down the road, this is going just going to be another big business game with a few, you know, craft distilleries around, but it's going to be dominated by a big business. And it's just written into the cake, uh, baked into the cake, <laughs> uh, when, when the initiative is written with these really high tax rates. And so, you know, it's, it, it, and I recognize it's coming in with, and this is one of the reasons I opposed the initiative in Washington, and I, it felt horrible to do so. I'm still not sure whether I was on the right side of that or not because it did, you know, the passage of Washington did help convince entire other nations to also legalize marijuana, which is now keeping people out of prison, you know, across North and South America um, at, you know, at least the, the, the user and, and hopefully small dealer level. So, it, you know, there, it's, it's a tug and pull here where the way that legalization is being done is leaving a new wake of new kind of traumas and injustice. And, you know, I did what I could in Washington to keep that from being the model that spread across the country. I didn't win. Um, And so, you know, now we just, we, that's what we have to deal with. And we have to come up with strategies. We have to be smart. We have to organize. We have to work with professionals who know the political processes, whether it's an election campaign uh, or a, you know, lobbying directly in government. Um, And, And we have to prioritize uh, what we need to get done, and and go after our priority list one item at a time, or maybe sometimes two or three items at a time. But there's a long list of stuff to fix here. One of my big things in Washington is now like figuring out how to rally the industry here, which with all these tax burdens, you know, most of the industry is really struggling uh, to break even, turn a profit. They got millions of dollars flowing through their companies, and they can't create margins. And so a lot of the companies are on the verge of going bankrupt in Washington state. It's the behind the scenes, you know, industry here is a freaking, is, is a freaking mess. Uh, and you know, as all new industries are, and some of it's just normal business stuff, but a lot of it's also imposed by the weird regulatory and taxation environment that they're existing under, but trying to rally these folks to be able to peel away some other cash um, is one place where I, th- I think eventually the industry, you know, profit motive will line up with what the patient's, and the users and, the, and, the, and the, the smaller businesses need, which is getting that tax rate down and giving some way for the small businesses to have a chance of surviving in this environment, one, uh, but also uh, making it more affordable for patients. So in Washington, we specifically have uh, a, a 37% tax even on medical marijuana. Uh, that, that would be the priority is knocking that down first, um, either eliminating it entirely or at least getting it you know, radically reduced. Um, but a a lot lot of this economic injustice that that we're seeing now coming out of the way legalization is happening really, it really circles mostly back around to these exorbitant tax rates because only big business models can handle that tax rate.
3: Well, let me ask you this. And and then um, I want to get into maybe another little facet of this. If, this was the way you would have it if you had a magic wand and could just make it the way maybe in your mind it should be, what would that look like?
6: Uh, Well, if we could go back to 2010 and if I could have had all the funding in the world to do it my way, um, then I would have sided with the people in Washington State, uh, despite the fact that I don't get along with them personally. I think their, 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 their legal and political theory behind this was brilliant, and I still stand behind it um so what i what i would have what i would have done to implement legalization is to go state by state in prohibition from state law and that means that you just go into your state code and uh you eliminate every bit of language that that that, ri- that prohibits marijuana uh, uh in your state and therefore if your state law is is completely silent on the issue then there's nothing for the feds to come after but then it's going to be up to your then your your state legislatures are going to start uh, uh, quickly wanting to pass bills to regulate and tax the you know uh, uh, marijuana and, and I think some regulations reasonable I you know I I have seen marijuana use really you know hurt some teenagers uh, quite a few actually I, I think it's a better to keep it out of the hands of teenagers you know there are a few common sense regulations that that I would that that I completely support and even advocate for one of them being underage use. So it should be 18 instead of 21 just to treat people like adults because I'm a more libertarian, but um, uh, the, you know, it's, it's really a, the public threat from this is so low that the regulations don't need to aren't a big deal. I mean, it's been under the unregulated for decades now and still, and isn't causing that much harm to society, very little. And most of the harm it is causing is because of prohibition itself. So come on. Um, so I would, I would, I would then have have set up in each of these states, knowing the next two to five years the legislatures were going to come in wanting taxes and regulations on, on this, you know, Wild West freestyling marijuana, um, then I would have had, you know, professional lobbyists while funded in place playing the political game and, and making sure that if anything passed, that it was super reasonable and that it would have uh, made for a better transition for the people who were already in the marijuana business before to be able to you know get some sort of license or official permission from the state to move forward uh and i would have recognized that that if you try to tax this product too high one you keep the prices up and the illicit market keeps thriving and you price patients out of the of the, of the market um and but then you also uh you know make it a, a a big business only game so if you want to make it viable for the decentralized small businesses the way marijuana has been in this country for decades in the black market, then you got to keep that tax rate down. Uh, and so then, you know, from all of that, I would have done similar to what the National Cannabis Industry Association does, an organization that I admire, um, and, you know, r- uh, recommend that people give money to from the industry. So they're an industry group, but they started, you know, hiring big-level D.C. lobbyists and raising real big money to go after things in D.C. and eventually push for legalization at that level. Um, they, I believe – from my sources, I believe that they played a role in helping keep the Trump administration from uh, cracking down on us uh, in in our state experimentations. so um, it, it would have been it would have been a very low regulation uh, uh, kind of a, a, a more libertarian version uh, that would have only that, that, that would have set up political operations and legislatures uh, and in d c to then guide the way the country deals with the fact that there's no more prohibition in place and make sure that, that the regulations that eventually would come uh, and the, whatever tax rates were reasonable.
3: So, uh, I mean, and I can understand where you're coming from being that you do exist in the political realm and you are dealing with big businesses that hire you to represent their interests, so you understand what those interests are in a way that not everybody does. I, I, I admire that because I certainly have a pretty libertarian point of view. I, I'm, I'm certainly neither a uh, uh, Democrat nor a Republican by any stretch. If anybody's listening to uh, me, speak, you'll know that. But, but the point is, and, and I just, I always have to articulate this if I possibly can because it just kind of, it, it kind of just turns my gut any time that I feel like somehow this, plant, the cannabis Indica sativa plant, has to be treated different than any other plant. And the reason I say that is this, there has yet to be a single case that has been proven that cannabis has been responsible for the death of any individual in the world, not even one. They've never proven not one case where the cannabis plant has caused a death. And every other substance on the planet, including water and rutabagas and aspirin and whatever, you can name any other substance on the planet and show an instance where there was a death resulted because of abuse of that substance, whatever it might be. Yet this is the one that has not one case, not a single case. Of course, there's, there's, there's a way to abuse anything, alcohol. Kids are prone to abuse things, and, I, and I'm and i not even going to argue that point. I think kids should be watched a little closer or be raised uh, yeah, <laughs> really. given give some education and morals and values. I mean, that would probably fix a lot of this. But just right. on the merit of the plant by itself, looking at it as an objective thing. Say I'm an alien coming in from outer space that was hired by the world to govern it. Why would I be interested in this plant? as an alien being given the task of regulating and governing an entire planet. I I couldn't seem to find a single reason other than this. It has value. It has value that people concern, just like gold or diamonds or oil or anything else. That's the only reason I can possibly come up with that says it must be regulated. And, you know, the founding fathers, when they put together our – our government and the, and, the, and the subsequent evolution of that government, I don't think ever considered in a million years that this plant, which was prevalent at the time and used both for industry and medicine, would have ever, ever been regulated on any level whatsoever other than that of any other plant. And I just kinda, it just kind of blows my mind that it, I can't seem to find anybody that can explain that one to me in a way that makes sense, other than it's the world we live in and we just have to play the game, otherwise it's not going to happen. You have some thoughts on that. You seem to be the closest to somebody who might be able to articulate
6: that point that I've ever run into. Well, so let me just clarify, because sometimes it can be confusing listening to me. Sometimes I'm describing the way things simply are and that I've accepted them and I deal with the world as it is, and other times I'm talking about the way I would prefer to do things. So you know, I I operate on two levels: one, playing the game as it is now, and two, working also as an activist to change the game itself. So uh, on on the on the point of regulation, let's you, you know our, our 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 nation's in distress on a whole lot of levels, and honestly, it's never really m- lived up to its own claims of moral authority. You know, there's no point in American history where we were just kicking ass on human rights and all this other stuff. We've always had a very dark side there, and um, and we also now, in the age of information, ironically, have more and more people detached from reality, and we're not dealing with logic, we're dealing with biases, we're dealing with manipulations, we're dealing with all this, you, you're absolutely right, there is no real, if, if, we were gonna, if we had just discovered this planet right now, we didn't have all these biases, and if it hadn't been illegal for all these years so harshly because of the culture wars launched by Nixon, uh, you know, on, on hippies and, and minority communities, uh, then you know our regulations would would be something like this: uh, don't put pesticides in it that hurt people, and keep it out of the hands of teenagers unless they have a doctor's note that they need it. I, you know, I, I well, I take it back. There's one other, which is in, in, indoor production. Also, takes a toll on the environment. I mean, from you know just a ecological perspective. And I'm a part of this problem, so I'm not lashing out at other people. I I have a part ownership in an indoor marijuana production facility in Washington right now, um, and that energy bill, the, the amount of, of electricity flowing through these indoor operations is just not acceptable. That's that's something that we're going to have to fix ourselves for our own industry at some point here in the near future. Um, so, you know, we've got our own, our own struggles too in places now where now we have to maybe set a better corporate example, if you will, a better business example and actually care about our impact, get rid of all this cr- just terrible plastic packaging, all this disposable crap. I mean, um, you know, just from that perspective, you know, and so, you know, for me as a lobbyist um, and, and, you know, I'm a citizen first, I'm an environmentalist first, I'm a business lobbyist second. I'm not interested in being an apologist for uh, corporations or industries who are causing harm. I'm interested in identifying those individual problems and finding fixes for them in cooperative ways, you know, if, and when at all possible. So, uh, you know, I think, I, I think we need to take responsibility for our own stuff. We need to keep working on these other issues, and recognize that if we get too, if we get too upset about the absurdity of there having been prohibition in the first place, or of having to accept these ridiculous levels of regulation that treat this like it's plutonium, or treat it like it's you know worse than oxycontin or something, uh, then 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 we can sometimes. Uh, get too caught up in that emotion, which is justified. I'm not I'm not trying to, to, to downplay it. But for fixing the problem, we have to be clear-minded, and we have to be strategic, and we have to plan stuff out. And we have to sometimes be willing to go talk to people we we don't like. Uh, if I can go talk to the prosecutors when I need to as a lobbyist, uh, as much as I, I hate those guys, um, you know, I, I think that I think the rest of folks can, you know, can reach out, you know, across the political spectrum as well to people that they don't necessarily feel are great people. But they're decision makers with the power over the future of all this. Uh, the best way to win or the only way to win is to go get a support of the majority of them.
3: Oh, I it's agree. The I think you close and your enemies closer. And there's nothing uh, more to help your cause than to know uh, what the, the, the desires and strategies of your opponents would be. So from whatever point of view, um, what you're talking about makes sense. Um, you know, I, I want to stop for a second. Hey, everybody, uh, you're watching and listening to A Cup of Joe. We had an interruption in the uh, Facebook live stream. It's been rebroadcast. Um, so if you got cut off, it's, it's streaming again. If you want to uh, talk to Ezra, um, what a great conversation. This guy is one of the few people I've talked to that uh, really uh, can carry on a, a viable conversation without just being stuck on a point and driving home uh, blindly. And uh, you know, all you got to do is pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. If you are watching the live stream, uh, if you've got comments coming in, uh, feel free to, to post them. Lisa is sort of responding to that right now. Um, but anyways, if you do have something that you want to talk to, uh, with Ezra, definitely call in, and if you're on the line right now and you, you have something to say, just hang up and call back, and, um, our amazing screener, non-compliant Mary, will put your name up on the board, and I'll know about it, and we'll bring you live up. Um, so Ezra, this is one thing I want to get to. Um, I do, we probably have another 10 minutes or so, then I've got to, uh, bring the rest of the in but um, a lot of people don't know you know you hear the word lobbyist and um, in in some circles it would be considered to be some sort of a dark demon representative of you know Beelzebub above himself <laughs> as, as you know the the subject of the the grand corporate uh, you know monster
1: but the truth uh-huh. is the lobbyist is, is um, that that in itself may
3: be true but that's not the only um, element of a lobbyist and the second thing I want to say so first I to, you know if you can in, in whatever detail you're you're comfortable with describe the nature of your job and and how that works and then um, I, I want to talk about sort of the the importance of a lobbyist in including introducing bills into legislature uh, you know just tipping the ear of a, of a representative um, how how you go about being recognized and heard um you know by by showing up again and again and and getting to know some of these folks and and um sitting in the rooms where these kind of policies and decisions come to life and are influenced you're in that place when it's happening in some cases and the importance of that so why don't you tell us a little bit about what a lobbyist is all about
6: yeah so you know um it's like it's like saying attorney or you know uh, there, there are some evil corporate attorneys out there, and there are other attorneys who drive themselves into the ground financially trying to keep, you know, poor people out of jail and are always doing the right thing. Uh, so with a lobbyist, uh, I'll talk about the positive side first. Um, when you're elected to public public office, especially a legislative body like, you know, state legislature, Congress, you, there's literally just not enough time in your life to become an expert on every single issue that you're going to have to vote on. Uh, It it is is just literally impossible. And so the lobbyists are the holders of the specialized information. We can go to the people when they're writing bills and stuff and give them feedback on how, you know, those bills would affect, you know, a particular segment of society or a particular industry or what have you. Um, And so we have a very useful role in Washington, you know, we're called the third house. You have the, the, the house and the Senate and then the lobbyists. And we, really play, especially in the day of such complex society with so much information out there, so many industries, so many interests, uh, we play a very important role for for helping legislators quickly get answers on the effects of what they'd be voting on or writing or voting against would have on, on society. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the positive side. And there's some people, you know, working on environmental issues, some people working for businesses that are, you know, working on pro-environment things or good businesses, you know, Elon Musk, and the Tesla, you know, company, they have lobbyists all over the country and thank God for them. I wish them all the best. Those are the kinds of corporate lobbyists who want working for industries that represent, you know, a positive future for our society and for humanity. Now, on the dark side, you have, um, you know, uh, you know, those people uh, like like us who go and work for, you know, the Exxon Mobiles and the and the, the, the corporations who are doing very real harm to society. And they are there to ensure that uh, that society uh, has as low a chance as possible of regulating that behavior from those corporations, uh, and so that they can keep doing business as usual as much as possible. Uh, you have ones that are just, you know, peddling influence. They're getting in, throwing a lot of money around, and then just peddling their influence to the highest bidder, regardless of cause or whether it's right for society. And and so. Um, the thing that we also carry is not just a wealth of knowledge, but we're the ones there. The legislators know they figure out after a while, which ones they can or decide to trust. Um, and, 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 uh, so, you know, like, let's say that you're an activist group or a a small business or, you know, some interest group and you want to get a bill introduced, you get a lobbyist who already knows the players figure out the very best person to introduce it and then start getting the votes to make that bill actually move through the legislature for you. And that's something that, uh, activists can try to do that, too. The, just the untrained citizen can also try to do that, sometimes with success. But when you walk in not knowing the players, not knowing the game, uh, not having quick allies, you can you know, text on your cell phone and all of that, just your chances of success go way down. Whereas if your group had raised a bunch of money to hire your own lobbyists to push for good things, uh, now you'd get fast-tracked and have a chance at the race. It's still a struggle. It's still a fight. Um, but now you're at least on more equal footing with the people who would oppose you on whatever you're working on. Um, so we're 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 around, we're connected, and uh, we we monitor things. You know, we're we're watching what's going on when other people have no idea there are even meetings happening, and we make sure that the people we represent uh, understand you know in real time uh, what different legislators with influence are thinking about your issues, where they might go next year and a bill that could attack you or, or help you, or just one that you'd have to monitor to make sure that it remains neutral to you or whatever. It's a very complicated world you walk into. And, uh, and you have to, you, 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 always have to use diplomacy first and, 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 and you try to never really make an enemy if you can avoid it. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I liken it to, you know, if you go to court, um, almost nobody ever goes to court without their attorney. If you go to play, you know, play politics at the state or federal level, then you don't want to show up without your lobbyist. And there's some exceptions to that, but that's generally, uh, you know, what I what I recommend to people and, and talk to them about, because most folks don't have the time as volunteers to dedicate that much to building all those relationships, learning the game and everything. It can take years.
3: Well, let me ask you this. Um, you, you painted a good um – analogy of the courtroom, and as I've spent many, 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 many days in court, both for my cases and others, I have learned a thing or two hopefully. But one thing I do know is that in a case where there'd be a civil case or even a criminal case against a corporation, any large entity would come with a team, you know, an OJ team, a dream team, they would have, you know, uh, a dozen or more specialist attorneys uh, to handle a case. And, you know, in, in the activist world, the grassroots world that I've lived in for a long time, uh, we've, we are aware of the influence of the lobbyists that are uh, representing our formidable enemies. And I use the word probably accurately. And, and by that, I mean the pharmaceutical companies um, the the tobacco alcohol interest, um, the prison guards union uh, law enforcement uh, uh, associations um, and, and likely a number of others, probably even the oil companies on on some level um, they have almost endless resources to put at this to hire um, Probably in many cases, attorneys, I would imagine there's a lot of lobbyists that are attorneys because attorneys are are versed in in speech in in how to um, how to how to manipulate a situation. Um, What's your experience with some of these some of these lobby teams that would be very much against our interests?
6: Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about the lobbying firms themselves it's like law firms, you know, they're, they, they, they just, they're kind of big guns for hire. Um, What I would worry about is the the corporate interests themselves and understanding what the source of it is. And, 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 and we, I could spend a whole three hours going over what corporate America has done to this nation since the seventies, how they planned it and all of that. That would be like a whole nother, you know, uh, deep topic to get into. Um, But in this instance, I think the takeaway since we're short on time is that uh, folks um, uh, have got have, have at at the grassroots level. If you don't have a lot of money behind you, then you need the people. You need numbers, and you need to be able to organize in legislative and congressional districts, and 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 in mayoral races and stuff like that. And the 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 reason that lobbyists right now, uh, with all of this money floating around from corporations, the, the the ones representing the corporations, the reason those lobbyists have such inordinate power right now is because the voters are not staying vigilant. And there's this old saying that will forever be true, which is that you know, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And the moment you let your guard down, whether it's year, once in 100 years or you know, once every three decades, then you start losing your freedom and your, and your liberties and other, and, and other people who are well-organized, well-financed, will go and try to take control of your society. It's always been that way. It'll always be that way. And we can never, for multi-generations going down, we can never let our guard down. There are always going to be people out there who are born more narcissistic and who are willing to make society subservient to them for their profits. So um, we've, we've got to engage. We've got to get people out voting. Um, we've got to get people out organizing. got to get people out uh, actually working to change the makeup of the government. That's the only viable route of recourse that we have right now. Uh, while also making you know business decisions that are different, you know, working on different business models and using the marketplace for the changes that the marketplace uh, can can promote. I mean, we're, we're getting a little bit away from just you know marijuana-specific stuff here. But as citizens, you know, the 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 corporations, their power is that they can buy the Facebook ads, they can produce the memes, they can put out the mailers, you know, put the TV ads up, uh, they can prop up any 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 you know scumbag person and make them a viable candidate for Congress with a bunch of money. If, if people disengage from that crap and, and quit listening to sponsored content and quit believing the hype that the political operatives put out and PR operatives put out to manipulate people onto the side of the corporations and, and, and recognize the voting as the basic foundation for removing these, the folks who represent the corporations over us from office, Uh, and are willing to go out and do hard work that is not fun. But, you know, defending liberty has never been fun. Fighting a war over that shit ain't fun. Um, Going out and organizing for elections, those people listening who have ever done it before know it's grueling work. That's the price of liberty. And so far right now the American public has uh, essentially not been demanding liberty and therefore is losing it right now and is making electoral decisions uh, based on false realities so you know we've got a lot of deeper problems playing into all of this here the good news for marijuana uh, is that overall the public is on the side the right side of history right now and we're watching government follow suit so just watch this this is what the power of the people is ending marijuana prohibition it's happening in front of us it's messy it's not there yet we've still got a long saga ahead of us but we're finally winning. We finally got momentum towards eliminating any criminal aspect of this plant with a very small, you know, exceptions. Um, So, uh, you know, you, 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 get the folks, you hold the folks, you bring, and and then the next, it's not just enough to go and get the voters on your side. The second thing that you have to do is go get the voters to prioritize your issue when they go to the polls. So let's take the environment. Most Americans are all in favor of, of protecting the environment. Only 10 or less percent have it as an actual priority. Therefore, it's not represented at the ballot box. And now we have, you know, a a Trump administration who's just shredding environmental protections as fast as he possibly can trying to wreck the Paris Agreement. I I mean, the list goes on. Um, And because the voters didn't have that issue at the top of their list when they voted, it was way down the list of consideration. And, uh, now we, that issue has literally no representation in D.C. We're we're, we're 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 we might get rolled back eight or two on environmental protections because of this one administration in Congress. So it's a it, it's a huge fight that requires huge numbers games and st- strategy, and um, folks who want to make change have to work with people like me, work with strategists who can put together ways to actually win, and plan out uh, you know step by step how to do it.
3: Well, Ezra, I, I am just very pleased with the way this conversation went. As you said uh, so accurately, we could probably uh, have two or three more two- to three-hour conversations about varying elements of this, and I would like to keep that door open. I'd certainly like to have you come back in the future uh, to dig deeper on some of these other topics. As much as our goal and our, and our, our concept uh, of this show is about ending prohibition, it's an educational show, and I think as people learn more, about the process, and and you touched on some topics that were dear to my heart, such as being vigilant. And, uh, you know, my case was over four years ago, but I know that (laughs) I'm not free until I can't be arrested for the things that I did and have done uh, anymore, and that's just simply not the case, regardless of what a license might say. And so I I have committed my vigilance, and I certainly – um have this show for the purpose of encouraging others to be vigilant and i believe that if people become aware they can be inspired to move and i think that that's what this is all about is is raising up the consciousness raising up the the the, the base of knowledge and moving forward from a position of understanding and knowledge rather than being influenced by others as we seem to be so much so Ezra, do you want to give out your uh, contact information? Is, is you have a reason that uh, you want people to get a hold of you?
6: Um, you know, I, I would say if people want to contact your show and they would like to talk to me directly about things, or if anybody's inspired to go out and do some uh, local uh, or big scale political organizing, um, then I'd say if I'd rather not just throw my email out of. that's all right. I I, no, no,
3: uh, not required. I just. I try to make it uh, a, an opportunity for anybody if they want to put a plug out or whatnot otherwise um, certainly I get feedback from the show and um, if I get some specific requests or not I'll get back with you and and hopefully we can structure another show
6: yeah absolutely feel free to forward them on and then i'll I'll, I'll call people uh, you know if you forward those on to me I'm, I'm I'm happy to just as an activist to share what I know and and to talk to folks about about organizing and making things happen so i'd be happy to help out and i i, I would not be pitching these money to hire me for st- these people for to, to to hire me for stuff i'm just doing this as a volunteer uh activist just to be clear
3: <laughs> all right well ezra eichmeyer i am just uh absolutely pleased with this conversation and i look forward to furthering it sometime in the future thank you for being a part of the show likewise.
6: thanks thanks for having me on you bet
3: all right, um, we're going to move forward. I've got uh, a lot of people on the line right now. I've got Tom Corby, i got Creed Leffler, and i got Pete Yaple. And I know that uh, um, George Martorano will be calling in shortly. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Pete, and then we're going to bring on Creed, and then Tom Corby, and probably uh, um, George will be somewhere in between it all. Pete Yaple, chapter coordinator from our Solidarity Over Separation chapter in New York. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
7: I'm doing great, Joe, man. Great show tonight. Really great show tonight, man. I've really been uh, really been enjoying it. And, um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously it hasn't all been great news, but uh, that last segment was incredible. Uh, and very incredible and very interesting, man. And I'll, I'll probably take a re-listen to it later on. Uh Man, I'll tell you, uh, to to still be mind-blown by how much uh, there still is in politics, you know what I mean, Joe? Rather than this just being as as simple and as clean-cut as we know it, and as simple and as clean-cut as you kept putting it, this is a plant that's never hurt anybody, killed anybody, done anything wrong to anybody, yet we're ostracized, imprisoned, bastardized, for whether we're using manufacturing, or whatever, whatever the case, um, but to think that there's so much, still politics behind the fact of just freedom of it. Now, I'm good with decriminalizing, obviously, because it'll make it a lot easier for people and a lot, uh, 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 you know, less people will be going to jail. Let's put it that way. But at the same time, you know, freedom is you know, is what America is supposed to stand for, you know, freedom. I mean, when, if you ask anybody what there is about America that they like, it's their freedom, you know, and for us to have a simple freedom like this being held away from us, kept from us as people die, you know, I, I, I see Gildebrand uh, the other day on the Dateline special say, you know, we're within two years. Okay, so you're within two years. Your statement before that was we lose 60,000 people a year to the opiate epidemic. Okay, so we'll sa- we're good with sacrificing another 120,000 lives there alone. Let's not you know, Let's not think about people that suffer on a daily basis from illness, that people are dying from cancer. I mean, my God, I see people with I've seen just in the last week a person with bone marrow cancer stop the progression of their disease with cannabis. Fine, it isn't any lessened, but they stopped the progression. This was somebody that was told they had three months to live. It's three months. They're no worse than they were three months ago. That's saying something. That's saying something is working. That's without testing. That's without approval. That's without anything you know regulatory I'm talking you know all all of this uh, all of this stuff that people have to understand is is please and I stressed it on our show on Monday that the word legalization or regulate are two very bad and dirty words uh, they both are associated with bigger government more government involvement licensing regulating money 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 and and if you think that you, you know, uh, John Doe, with, you know, a, a few dollars that is going to go into business and wants to try to get into the cannabis business, is going to be able to or to compete or, or, or at anything. With, that, with those precedents set in line, you're absolutely wrong. You're completely wrong. You, you better have a lot of money. And that is just wrong because everybody should be able to be involved on on every level from the farm to, from the farm, to the store, from the store, to the building, to the, to whatever. Um, And that's where we try to strive. That's what we have to try to strive for Uh, true end ending of the probate of this plant. I mean, prohibition just needs to come to an end. Um, I, uh, I, the only other thing I got to say is too, is I'm looking forward to uh, the people don't know, uh, uh, we are been lucky. We've been asked to be on a, a, a talk show out here in Woodstock and, uh, Joe's going to be coming out here to the East coast and joining me for it, which is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we can't wait, man. You have no idea how excited we are, you know? Uh, hey, uh Mitchell, man, looking forward to this for. I know. I, I know. You know, it I know. It's going to be finally great to sure. shake your hand, you know? I mean, Jesus Christ. uh. <laughs> We've been yeah, working together I'm for freaking okay years, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Hey, well, just, I
3: want to really quick.
7: I want to really quick before I, you know I give back the time to everybody else because uh, I'm telling you, I've really been enjoying listening today. I just want to wish my wife, my wife, a very happy birthday uh, today. is my wife Helen's 49th birthday. It's her happy last birthday, uh, last birthday. year in the 40s, and um, uh, and also I want to wish her a Happy anniversary! Because today is the day that me and her got married. So, uh, uh,
3: so uh, happy anniversary a, both of you.
7: Thank you very much. Thank you much, guys. Uh, I enjoy the show. We'll listen. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, we have a, a big show coming up on our uh, on uh, our Monday coming up this week. We have uh, uh, Flower Power. They're a uh, infused coffee company. And we're going to have the owners of that on, and a actual uh, scientist that works with them, uh, you know, that does the infusions and whatever. And we're going to hear his point too. And um, we're also having uh, who else are we having on this week? Uh, I hate to I hate to not remember, but I just got that confirmation today, so I'm really looking forward to getting those people on and um, and hearing what. And oh oh, I know who it is. I'm having. Uh, Howie is is the guy's name. He's the green, green Party candidate for governor here in New York. We're going to interview him. We're going to find out what his points are, where he stands. You know, we've already done it with the Libertarian candidate. Now we've got the Green candidate, uh, candidate coming in. And we, then we have a couple of senators, actually, guys that are running for for, uh, for government office as well, or for federal office as well, uh, that are just trying to fit me in their schedule right now. And once they solidify, I'll make those available.
3: Excellent. Well, Pete, uh, if somebody wants to get connected with you or get involved with the Human Solution in our Solidarity Over Separation chapter in New York, how would they do it?
7: Well, we're on Facebook. We're Solidarity Over Separation, the New York chapter of the Human Solutions International. Please look for us there. Also, you can find me and my wife and links to Solidarity, Joe's pages, and a few, a few other industry associates that we have that we trust in and that we think alike. So, hey, we share with them just like as they, as they do with us. And that is Canna We Talk. I'll just spell it out. C-A-N-N-A-W-E-T-A-L-K-4-2-the-letter-O dot com and that's our website. You guys can go there, and and it'll take you anywhere. It it gives you our shows. We've got everything on that website.
3: Beautiful. Well, Pete, always a pleasure. I appreciate uh, everything you're doing. I look forward to meeting you in person, and uh, I expect we'll be talking tomorrow morning.
7: You got it, Joe, man. Thank you, guys.
3: All right, Pete Yapel once again, folks. All right, up next we've got George Martorano. George Martorano is a lifetime member of the Human Solution International. Uh, We found George languishing in federal prison, serving a life sentence, which he uh, vigilantly and boldly and courageously fought and fought and fought and kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting until finally he found his way out. And he's out now. And now you don't get your 32 years back. But George didn't lose them. He took those that experience and he used it um, in the best way I've ever seen anybody use a, a, a stint in hell. And he's used it to better the world, better himself, and better others around him. And he continues to do this now. I know he graces our show with uh, um, a little short uh, story or uh, some thoughts. And here it is right now, George Martorano. George, welcome to the
8: show. How are you doing today? Hey, good evening, Joe. Good evening, Liz, all my uh, West Coast friends. I miss you guys out there. Uh, Tonight I want to talk about something that uh, related to uh, human nature. That's hope. Okay, Uh, uh, you know, I I spoke about hope on many stages. I spoke about hope. I was the first-person around an ex-prison to speak at the Warden School of Business, the most prestigious uh, school in the in the world uh, about hope. They, did, they didn't want to know much about anything but how I kept going. So, uh, you know, uh, I just had uh bump into someone. Uh, uh, I don't want to give his name. He's an ex-senator that uh, was put away, and uh, he's been home a while now, but he's still being uh, persecuted with, uh, with IRS and, and stuff like that. And he didn't uh he wanted to talk to me he, he specifically sought me out, and he felt that uh, what can he do and i says you all you're looking you're looking at the you're looking at the legality stuff which is the wrong the wrong direction you're a human being you're a human being, and you're caught into all these uh these federal laws and you've been constantly persecuted so stop arguing the law and argue as a human being because uh, that's how I came home, ladies and gentlemen. I brought to the fact to the judge that I, how much suffering that were you going to bestow upon a nonviolent first offender? How much suffering? And that's how I got. Uh, then uh, of course my prison record put the judge's attention, all the positive uh, stuff and mentoring and educational stuff. But basically, you know, uh, just uh, to share out there, a lot of people know there is a case. Called the Holloway case, uh, Second Circuit case, John Holloway, other uh, district court decision. But basically, that's what I hung my hat on. You know how much, how much suffering, how much suffering is bestowed upon a human being. So uh, there is a case, and you know, and uh, no matter what, uh, you know whoever's whoever's uh, is coming down on you legally. After a while, you have to stop the legality argument, and, and talk about the human aspect at all. And uh, incidentally, I'm proud to say uh, after 32-plus years in prison and a short tenure out, you know, hope uh, hope keeps me going. I find hope in every part of me, every aspect of my human being, of my spirit and character. And I could a- actually announce today on this show that I'm going to be delivering uh, a hemp, uh, Atlantic City New Jersey Hempfest Festival. Imagine
1: that. Okay, I'm going to be
8: uh, the director of that. Uh, the contracts are contracts are basically signed, and I'll be directing that. So after 32 32 years in prison, I'm basically going to have Atlantic City in the palm of my hand. Uh, we're going to shoot for the next September 2019. Uh, third third weekend in September. Imagine that.
3: I can so imagine. I will have,
8: I will have, I will be king. I will be king of the city for that weekend.
3: I love it. i, so love I it. Estimate,
8: low, a low estimate, three, four hundred thousand. So that all comes from hope. That comes from never giving up. So, and I don't want to. I don't want anybody to relate to me to be like me. It's just there might be some person uh, up a lonely road, and he or she thinks it's all over with, but never give up. Never give up. As long as you have hope, as long as you can uh, enjoy some part of your life, look up at the stars, feel the sun upon you, that's hope. That's how I draw hope. There was some, all those years in solitary, I couldn't even feel the sun on me. Never felt the sun on me. And uh, when I did, when I was fortunate to do, sometimes through a window, chained up on a bus ride, that's hope. That's hope. When you get that little, that little, uh, that part of nature upon you, never give up. There's that hope within you. Find it and march on, march on, ladies and gentlemen. Back to you, Joe.
3: All right, George. I couldn't agree with you more. And and those are some uh, some powerful words. Uh, it's it's the hope that keeps us all going. I I've I've dealt with hope myself. I was in a in a situation where I I it was almost hopeless, but I. I never, I never gave up, uh, certainly nothing in comparison to yours, but the point is is that we all have our own lot in life, and we all get our, our own struggles and our own uh, challenges, and it's us is the difference. How do we treat it? How do we look at it, and how do we carry forth through it? So George, it's always a pleasure to have you be a part of the show, and I look forward uh, to, to talking to you in person in a couple of weeks um and and yeah uh, i'll be and, and, i'll be seeing you i'll be seeing you on the east coast but i really miss uh uh you
8: know my willow creek uh springs uh area i'm dying to get back there i want you to know you that's to all talk- we're talking about you know when i was languishing in the in the cell you know when i went out and i come out and visit uh liz or joe you know i get up in the morning and they live in a great community and, uh, you know, I I, I walk out the the hills and roam around, and that's all that's all nat- nurturing your hope. Because if you keep the hope alive within you, you can do great things. You can, you, can do any. You don't have to do great things; just little things like enjoying your own life through your own personal hope.
1: That's so true. So true.
3: All right, George. Always a pleasure, and uh, look forward to seeing you very soon, folks. George Martorano, once again. All right. Up next, we got Creed Leffler. Um, Creed has been working on a move-on petition to remove cannabis from Schedule 1, and he's got another uh, project he's working on. Um, there's been a bunch of YouTube censorship that's been going on, and um, he's working on a new project. And I apologize. I was supposed to be able to help you over the weekend, and I just got – pummeled with uh, things I had to do, and I wasn't able to break free. So, Creed, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Good. How are you?
3: Doing great. Doing great. I am you going.
9: Hi, Cup of Joe listeners and viewers. I have some good news, and I have some not-so-good news. A lot of YouTubers are being knocked off of YouTube because of their weedy content. Some of them are as follows. Silence Tippy, Jenny Wakenbake, and, and I'm pretty sure Silence Tippy and Jenny Wake and Bake are medical patients, Haley420, OG420, which I know they have gotten knocked off because most of these are daily bloggers, Leafly, which I know got knocked off because I've spoken to several people within Leafly about it, Threolite, and many others. I am looking to partner up with someone to start another petition to YouTube corporate offices to require them to reinstate their channels. When you look for their channels, the channel is there, but they're empty. So that's the bad news. The good news is that my current petition has 6,272 signatures. If we can get that to 6,300 by midnight, that would be huge. Thank you for all you you do.
3: Excellent. Well, Creed, I I very much want to help you. I'm going to be tied up until Saturday. So if... You don't find somebody to help you do this by Saturday. I, I can honor my commitment on Saturday. Um, and, again, I, I let you down, and I'll, I'll, I'll own that. But I don't feel good about owning that because I typically uh, don't let people down when I say I can do something. Um, we're going to post, again, the petition we have, um, and we'll post it on the feed of this. And if anybody is able to help Creed to create a petition, I've never created a petition before, but, you know, we can figure stuff out as need be. But if you're willing to do it, get a hold of me, um, 951-436-6312, and um, I'll connect you with Creed and we'll do it all together. Um, but I just need somebody who's got a little experience in uh, creating one of these um, move-on petitions it's or one of the other It takes like five minutes. It takes like five minutes. Yes, okay, perfect. Well, then, then let's, let us work on that, and if somebody can't do it by Saturday, then I I will throw definitely a half an hour to this. I'm sure we can put together something pretty good in half an hour.
1: The, the uh, person that was going to help me had a family emergency.
3: Well, we will we will do it uh, one way or the other by Saturday. So that's that's my pledge. You guys have all heard it on the air. By Saturday, we'll have this up, or you can come and and give me what for. So Creed, I appreciate you being on. We've only got five minutes left of the show, so I need to cut it loose a little short. I got Tom Corby with the NorCal report, and he's not a man of brevity, so I got to give him at least five minutes to to do his report. So Creed, we will talk again uh, in. Worst-case scenario, we'll talk first thing in the morning on Saturday. Um, um, you're east of me, so you'll get a head start. We'll be able to do it um, early rather than later. All righty. All right. Thanks again, folks. Creed Leffler, um, an activist, and he's standing up, doing more than I see most folks do, um, trying to make something happen in a way that is possible. So... We, we honor Creed and his work, and we just need to get more people standing up and doing something. So this is an easy way to do it, folks. Let's get her done. All right. To close the show out, we have Tom Corby with the NorCal Report. Tom Corby, welcome to the show.
10: Uh, thank you, Joe. Coffee Party Radio Show. All those on the front lines for another historical great show. Uh, we have some more bad news on a couple of cannabis lawyers. Many may know them from Wheat Country. Michael and Tony Putin got busted today on uh, federal case. i sad to say Joe and I know when it's federal it's a tough road to hold. Well, uh, in Tennessee. Uh, I have the update here on the rated in Jackson, Tennessee. Federal prosecutors say an Oregon couple featured on television show we country has been indicted on marijuana related charges in Tennessee. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Jackson says Michael and Tony Bootin of uh, Medford, Oregon, face charges, including manufacturing, possessing marijuana with the intent to distribute, doesn't say film. Cottage agents said they found 20 pounds of marijuana and three pounds of hash oil in, 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 the, in the house and the Booten's tour bus in Jackson. Well, my first thought is 20 pounds and three pounds of oil is really. Not a whole lot of, of medicine uh, when people are weighing cases of 200 and 300 pounds, uh, which you should be allowed to have as much as you want, of course, if they're going objective. Agents also see here's a the problem here on Levitt's firearms from the house. A federal complaint says the house belonged to William Cisco, who has been indicted on marijuana weapons charges. The Bootins appeared on Discovery Channel's Weed Country, which is about marijuana trade in California and Oregon, which a lot of us have been part of for years. Up here in Northern California. Court records don't show if Cisco or Boudin's have lawyered up yet. Uh, they are obviously in Ted Prison in, in Tennessee. Uh, to there, uh, we could get connected and start getting some local court support and advocacy. We also have special friends throwing money and also, you can. Uh, there been a few hundred dollars raised. For the buttons For their comm- <coughs> commissary Expenses um, That's sad to say That We're still going to jail For our sacred plan I've been using this plan for 50 years uh, I was always so thankful When things got better And I was able to grow my own Medicine out here And now that we have legalization, more laws and regulations with A.U.M.A. Uh, or we're going to go to jail for a
1: Uh
10: We always talk about one of the object- objectives and one uh, of the ways we can help win the war is to get the right politicians in office. We have a few things going up in Shasta County. Uh, Michael Schultz going to run for uh, supervisor up there. Uh, moreover, uh, we have Melissa Baylin running for uh, California governor down in L.A. Joe knows her well. Uh, it's a primary election, uh, which says that she uh, messaged me. Uh, she made 65 uh, signatures from different counties to get on the primary election. Uh because I've had some experience uh with with petitions uh uh with, with Nick and, and Frank and Ann here, my helpers. Uh we made a copy, I've got it here and I got five uh signatures from uh, uh the hood here with Alex Lyons. And I went down to the recorder's office, and I recorded it, and I took a picture. And that's something we could do to really get the the word out there. Pictures are worth sometimes more than a 1,000 words. Um, I want to thank everybody again today. And um, coming together, volunteering for the solution. Danation we well, all are w No one should go to jail for a plan. and I don't forget to breathe. Thank you, Joe, all day.
3: All right, well, thank you, Tom Corby, for being a part of the show. I want to thank George Martirano for joining us. Um, Ezra Eichmeyer for being a great guest, and uh, I want to thank Becca for uh, bringing Ezra to the show. I want to thank Lisa Wildridge, my vice president, for using the video on the show. And um, I want to always thank our amazing screener, non-compliant Mary, for screening. And everybody who's checked in, remember, we have a live case going on in Ohio. These are members of the organization. These are people that are fighting for others while they're being um, persecuted and prosecuted. And hopefully, you know the Butins will be able to uh, reach out, and you know uh, we can we can do something. But uh, we have this case right now with the Keelings; uh, they are reaching out, and they are in Ohio, and we absolutely need to come to their aid. If you're in Ohio, if you know anybody in Ohio, please. We need to fill these courtrooms. We need to get people out there. Let's make it happen.
4: We'll see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant.
0: Little things I should have said and done, you were always on my